Very good afternoon and welcome into the Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great Justin Marshall. Over the next two hours, we talk all about the national game and what an intriguing weekend it has been. The Reds upsetting the Chiefs in Taranaki in New Plymouth Friday night, saying Australia, based on that performance, are good enough to still win the Rugby World Cup. They did their homework, hooked defence. They did what no other team has been able to do so far this Super Rugby Pacific season, winning by 25 points to 22. Hurricanes were simply too good for Moana Pacifica, again bringing up the debate, what is the relevance of Moana Pacifica? How do they turn things around in the future if they are not going to get the resource required, if they cannot secure their marquee players going forward and find some way of being able to bring young talent through. And then last night, well, one of the great defensive efforts from the Blues, but it was always going to be a Crusaders victory. Crusaders just simply too smart, too quick at the breakdown, their ability to recycle possession to go up through the middle. For the Blues, well, I'm just not sure what the fascination is these days around Bowden Barrett. All he did was kick away possession. He had one fleeting moment of brilliance with 10 minutes to go, but they just seemed rudderless at key times. Crusaders, I'd imagine, will be frustrated, though, for all the possession they had in the first half, the final score being 15 points to three. We will discuss all of this and a lot more over the next two hours. Tamadi Allison, assistant coach for the Crusaders, will join us on the programme at 1, and then 1.30, one of the Prince of centres, one of the greats, Timmy Horan, out of Australia. But it's a special good afternoon to my co-host, Justin Marshall. Justin, good afternoon. Welcome. Yeah, good afternoon, Watto, and good afternoon to everybody uh, joining us this afternoon. And equally, a very, very, very good afternoon and good day to all the mothers out there. Um, I know there's probably plenty of sports men and women out there that uh, know how important <laughs> mothers have been um, in transporting and looking after and way back in the day cutting up and slicing oranges or whatever it might be so uh today's a day for you to put your feet up relax probably have a nice glass of wine or beer or whatever it may be and um be appreciated that's for sure justin i want to kick things off with the big upset on friday night the reds up against the chiefs um this to me will give australian rugby some real confidence and belief with the Wallabies, with the Rugby World Cup, because it just demonstrates with good coaching, even though you might not necessarily have a team man for man as good as the opposition, with the right nows, with the right smarts, you can still do the unthinkable. How important was that performance for Australian rugby on Friday night? Well, I think you've touched on it in terms of mental. Um, it, it goes to show that you can compete, and if you get yourself into position, uh, then you can, if you galvanise, you can win. And I certainly felt that on the balance of the evening, the game was quite evenly matched. Um, but never at any point did the Chiefs pull away from the Reds. But there was this sense of inevitability about, you know, the last 10 minutes that somehow, some way, because of what's happening historically lately, not only with the Wallabies, but equally with Australian super teams, New Zealand sides just have this ability to, even when they're having a good day, still sneak a win from them. And you just thought that that was going to happen, uh, you know, the other night. But, wow. 
Yeah, you just it, it, it certainly was a resilient, resilient, resilient effort. Like on the line, defending and hanging on right to the very death, right on the try line. There was a major step mentally for them in the right direction. Just shows though, doesn't it? Fifteen on fifteen, anything can happen if two teams, uh, you know, if there's not too much of a, a gap between the two sides. What did the Chiefs manage to do on Friday night that every other team has? Fa- Sorry, what did the Reds do on Friday night that every other team has failed to do against the Chiefs? Well, they stayed in the fight, and then they put their good work that they did on the field on to, into pressure and didn't release the valve. They didn't allow the Chiefs to produce a piece of individual brilliance out of nowhere. Like, uh, obviously, um, Nano Satoro was good on the night and um, a couple of breakaway nice tries, but, you know, ultimately, they, they contained some of the, the key players when they needed to, uh, and... When they, when they were really required, they, they fronted up and, and didn't concede and give up because the side that they're playing is playing so confidently in such good form and, you know, have, have really good team ethic and work rate and, and they want to play for each other. And, and that's tough when a team's that, that uh, strongly driven. So that's the shift they made. They stayed in the fight and then when they had to, they fronted um, and they didn't allow them any soft opportunities. They, did, they said to them, righto, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to give it absolutely everything you got because we're going to do the same. And I felt that that was the difference in the game, that they just, they didn't, it's not that they wanted it more. It's just that they found a way to have a deeper resolve to hang in there. And they were that determined to win. You could see the emotion. Did you see the emotion on the the way they were jumping around and hugging? It was like they'd won the grand final, you know, it was incredible. So it obviously had been drummed home to them all week. Uh, the fact that they hadn't won in New Zealand in so long and how bigger a uh, scalp the Chiefs would be because they really expressed it. A loss for the Chiefs, though, it's not a bad thing, is it? I mean, you know, you learn more from your losses than you learn from your wins going through a season unbeated or going through the regular season coming into the playoffs. Uh, that can sometimes be the reason why you do come undone. So Chiefs can look at this two ways. It'll It'll build a more steely resolve or will it, potentially knock their confidence um yeah yeah valid question it, it's I, I think it's a little bit of a catch-22 it just depends on the way that the the team react to it really not only the players but the management um yeah a loss can be a little bit of a a jolt to the system that teams need when everything's going on along with great rhythm and and there's been no real fluctuation in terms of, you know, drop off and form massively or, you know, play well one week and then lose the next for no reason. So, you know, this has kind of been plucked out of mid-air, really. So it's it's not something they would have been expecting. Um, yes, they probably would have expected that maybe they're going to have to deal with regrouping after a loss to possibly the Blues, Crusaders or Hurricanes, um, but definitely not against the Reds with the greatest respect. So um, I, I think... It, it does show that they are beatable to the rest of the competition. So that has opened a door for everybody else to go, right, analyse, look at what the Reds did well. Oh, OK, they're a little bit deficient in that area. If we do this, you know, we can break them down. They're not invincible anymore. So it's just about whether or not they feel that they were that far off and the things that they did wrong that they can put a patch on before they got found out in the finals is probably... The big question they'll be asking themselves yeah. now and what uh, Clayton McMillan really needs to take out of that game. Is it, is it a major catastrophe or is it just an off night and now they've had it, 
they can move on and make sure it doesn't happen again. Justin, look, I had f- friends and fans of rugby have just had a guts full of this constant rest and rotation side, just not putting their best teams out. And uh, I had people sort of almost hoping the Chiefs lose because, let's be honest, you know, you had Prophet Slater and Ryan in the front row. Um, you go back, Parker at eight, Finau at six. You had a number of marquee players not playing. Um, it looked like a very different forward pack from what we have seen. Uh, I mean, was this a case here of um, rest and rotation bringing the Chiefs undone, a little bit like what we saw with the Crusaders in Fiji and almost what we saw with the Blues against Moana Pacifica? Yeah, to a degree, probably, and and equally the Blues. Yeah, like you said, they they, they were very lucky um, last week, uh, and and yeah, the Crusaders have been undone. So have the Hurricanes. So every team was always going to have patches where they needed to refresh their players, where they needed to uh, think about the All Black rotation uh, and and rest some key players as required, and and getting that planning and preparation right at the start of the the season is all about looking at the draw, targeting when they feel fatigue is going to come in and then equally target when they feel that they probably have a side that they could rest a few key players but still put out a strong enough side to beat them. And I would I would have been thought thinking that the Reds, in my mind, I can't remember who I was talking to before the game, but I did say that the Reds are just a niggly team. They've mm. got some really good wallabies and they've always threatened to gel and to go well, but they just haven't pieced it together this year. So they're... Probably the side, type of side that you would go in New Zealand. They're probably not likely to, to bring that performance um, to our shores, but they're probably likely to do it in Australia. So you wouldn't take that gamble. Um, but I, I think it was an educated gamble from Clayton McMillan that, that they could still get the job done. And they very nearly did, didn't they? So, mm. yeah, I, I think probably every coach will look back and go at, instances where he's rested a key player or some key people um, and thought, hmm, that didn't quite work. I wish I had thought thought a bit more about it. How good Tate McDermott? Yeah, very good. And, and uh, look, I'm, I'm of the mindset that he's the best nine uh, walking around Australia's shores, and I have been thinking that for a couple of years. Uh, Dave Rennie didn't feel this, that way. Uh, and I'm not sure where Eddie Jones is going to um, put Tate in, in, in terms of his mix and his thought process. Uh, I feel Nick White is still just an incredibly competitive, niggly, uh, talented player that um, just really loves a fight uh, in terms of, you know, a fight in a, in a, as in a contest. But he, he does, doesn't mind a fight too. He can rub the swords up. Um not only by chat, but by, by a bit of niggle as well. Um, and that's the type of personality that he is. So I think there's still a place for him. And possibly that's off the bench when he comes on fresh and he's taking steps and challenging defenders. But, um, you know, they've got some, some good depth there at the moment. But I think Tate McDermott, yes, is the best halfback going around. And he just needs time in the jersey. And he's not been given that consistently yet. It's just about someone picking him and being brave enough um, at international level, um, so that's Eddie Jones now, to, to get him to where he needs to be because the potential's always been there. James O'Connor, would Eddie Jones consider him in the midfield? Yep, quite possibly, uh, and that's dependent on how he balances out that back line. Uh, you know, he's obviously got the options with Paisami and co to, to bring power um, and Fouquetti and um, uh, per, per, Parisi in, uh, in the, at the Waratahs. So there's, there's plenty of firepower and punch in the midfield. But then 
is, it, is there too much? Those guys are really direct, hard-running players, all of those three that I've mentioned, and you just wonder whether or not it's a hands, hips-type player with a little bit more vision that can come in as a first receiver that will just help and open up the back line and probably take pressure off a position that they've really struggled with, I believe, in the last decade for any form of consistency, which is the 10 jersey. Um, and I think all, particularly the All Blacks, Every time they play the Wallabies, they just want to put pressure on whoever's got that jersey on because there's been no consistency in those selections. You think Quade Cooper's had a go, um, O'Connor's had a bit of a, a bit of a go there. They've used um, oh, the guy from the, the Rebels who can kick the big long goals. Someone help me out here. Uh, he plays twelve as well and can play fullback. I'll remember his name. Um, but you know, they, they, then you bring Quade Cooper into the mix. They've had plenty, but nobody's really stamped their authority on it. Um, so yeah, it's a real point of contention of where they, whether they play a guy that can play twelve and ten competently in that position, and O'Connor fits that mould. Great to see the name Liner involved in Australian rugby. Grew up watching yeah. the great Michael Liner, the Grant Fox era. A wonderful time in New Zealand rugby as well, and like father, like son. Yeah, absolutely. Geez, they they do look similar too, don't they? And. Uh, I thought um, he showed great composure uh, when he came on. You know, the game was still very much a contest at that stage. And, uh, you know, to come on and, and still just look like, you, you know, he needed to take control of the game and he was able to do that with aplomb. And, um, yeah, very much good to see him back in New Zealand shores, uh, Australian shores and playing rugby in New Zealand um, because, you know, he was such a familiar face, Michael Liner, and to see his offspring um, in, in the Queensland jersey and performing well. Uh, there's some real future there. He just needs, again, he's a guy who just needs time in the jersey and, and consistent um, play to be able to sort of keep progressing. You are listening to The Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall, power your business with Bunnings Trade Powerhouse. You can text us here on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Just before we do take our commercial break, come back and focus on the Blues Crusaders game from last night. Big shout out too to a couple of young up-and-coming rugby players that play for the CUMU Rugby Club. We've got Ruby Allen and also Cooper Allen, two very fine athletes in the sport of surf lifesaving and now starting to apply their trade in rugby. And a special message to all the young kids out there playing grassroots rugby. Hey, just hang tough, enjoy the game, put a smile on your face. Blues defence has been phenomenal. And coming through, oh, doing ever so well with Satutu. Great heads up play. Now the Blues have a chance to break out. Tillia, first time in the game for him. Sprinting down the touchline. Puts the kick ahead. Well, it goes into touch. He's got the ball. Sideways once. Now he breaks away with it. Cody Taylor, just short, ball pops up and over, at last! And it's Quinn Strange who comes up with it. Taylor, the tri-setter up down the other end, he makes the tackle. Playing advantage, right offside. And the referee is playing advantage here to the Blues. Another advantage coming for the Blues. Hang on. No, no, guys. Crusaders, well, they've turned a few down at the other end. Barrett gets the Blues on the board. It's 7-3 in Christchurch. Set! Blues again looking to get the shove on, but Crusaders clear it straight to Harvey. 
runs into Sullivan defending up in the line. Blues have got hands on this. Oh, brilliantly ripped. No. But this time, three points. In off, even if it comes in a slightly roundabout way. Oskin Satutu, whose defence has been outstanding, almost managed to work something there. Oh, boy, one of the Crusaders players, like Richie Maung, has gone down in a heat. It was he who tried to get that short ball away. The referee's playing advantage here to the Crusaders. I think he might have picked up a late hit here. Frame it up, and get the number. Maunga back in the action. And they swing it wide, in or straightening, getting the ball back on the inside, Havili breaking a tackle, fending off the two getting it away to Fonamonoku, spectacular finish! Crusaders pounce at the start of the second half! Wow! There's going to be some form of review, so we'll listen in. This could be big trouble here. Oh boy! Okay. That's got red got written off, all over it. I think it's it got the, it yellow review written okay, all over Brett. it. In keeping with what they've been doing this year, it will be a yellow, but it will be reviewed, and it could well be elevated to a red. The razzle-dazzle the Crusaders produced. Really good from Enor. Beats Sullivan back on the inside. Havili, how good's that? Little show and go. One-handed offload. And Leicester finish it in style. Yes, boy. And then the finish by Leicester Fanganuku, one of the best in the game. I tell you though, Leon McDonald will be filthy. He'll be tearing his hair out because they started so well, the Blues. The yellow card to Blue 7 has been upgraded to a red card. Okay. It's direct contact with force right. and no mitigation. Okay, uh, so that yellow card's been upgraded to a red, so, so he's not coming back. So you heard right, it. Let's go, man. They've had a look at it. As we suspected, a red, he can be replaced. Nothing to lose attitude. It's the only way they're going to fight their way back into the game with this amount of time left. Oh, knock. Found that a little bit awkward. Oh, Barrett kicks the ball ahead, but he does find some space, and he's got after it, and he's got it! Kicks again. Well, those are two good kicks, and it's given the Blues a chance to get back into it. Barrett throws it ahead. Will it sit up? No, it doesn't. It sits up for Jordan instead. Well, Bowden Barrett, so many times he gets the bounce, but not that time. OK, that's available. Use that, please. Examples there, though, of two effective kicks. It took a pretty special rugby player to shut him down, to be honest. Will Jordan working hard back on defence. And the Crusaders make their move up the table. Total control in so many key aspects of the game. A 15-3 win. Yeah, one of the great defensive performances from the Blues, but just, again, the Crusaders get the job done, don't they? Sir John Kerwin about to join us on the programme, Justin Marshall. Justin, I've been scratching my head, and I've just been talking to Robbie here. So can someone explain to me, we, we see Papa Leahy getting a yellow card which gets upgraded to a red. They play the advantage of the Crusaders score, but wasn't there a clear knock-on straight off the pass just after the late tackle from Popolihi? Has no one looked at this? I mean, it's a clear knock-on, Justin. <laughs> and then they just allowed to play on. I went back and watched it three times. Robbie's just brought it up. Yeah, well, you're not going to get any 
more conclusive evidence of that than when we speak to JK because he saw it real time and uh, he was pretty filthy about it after the game and rightly so. Yes, absolutely. We didn't get it uh, given back to us on the replay for Sky. We we, we focused obviously on the Papali'i offence and then it just showed the, the, the last three, four passes of the try. So we didn't get to go back and look at that because they certainly should have gone back to that being uh, not able to be played on regardless um, and the try disallowed and just the penalty being given. So, yes, that was missed by the officials. Um, but but, but it was the most... But, but it was one of, people, but not you. But, Justin, <laughs> it was one of the most bloody blatant knock-ons you can see in rugby. It was just so damn blatant yeah. it wasn't funny. So, John Kerwin joins us on the programme. Uh, John, good afternoon. Welcome. Uh, jump into the discussion, my good man. Don't start me, mate. Don't start me. I'm just starting to forget about that. What's going on? Oh. I was all over Marshy like last night saying, bloody hell, you can't pretend you didn't see it, Marshy. But anyway, <laughs> like the, the, the interesting thing for me, two things, that is definitely a yellow card. But if you have a look, and I think there'll be mitigating circumstances, if you have a real close look at it, Richie was actually so, so low, he looked like he was doing a squat. He looked like he was sitting on a chair, right? So if he had been at full height... Bolton would have got him in the chest. Now, it should have been a yellow card. I totally agree, but I don't think it should have been upgraded to a red. Um, you know, and so that was that was one thing. But then not going back to the knock-on was unbelievable. Now, look, look, and you, you should write this down, Marshy. I thought <laughs> the Crusaders... Get a pen, um, Justin, get a pen. Right? I thought the Crusaders deserved to win. I thought the Blues were outstanding. I was incredibly proud of their defence, but I think... What happened, Marshy, and you've been here before, right? You don't get any ball. When you do get your ball, you're in your red zone and you've got to kick it out of there. And you kick it out and give them the ball back. And it's just like this continuing um, revolving door. But I do think that that really took it out of their legs because late in the second half, they rallied a couple of times. But, you know, you can't make, I think it was like 179 tackles or something. So, yeah, look, the moments, um, you know, the, the, the Crusaders, if you're a coach, you want to start like that. I thought they were outstanding early. They probably missed a couple of opportunities. But the Blues gave them a bit of a fright. I mean, if Will Jordan's not out there um, and the ball bounces the other way, then, you know, Bowden does one of his X-Factor tries. But all in all, um, it was just a brutal game, Marshy. I mean, you wouldn't want to play today, would you, man? No, no, no you absolutely wouldn't, especially you and I, mate. And I have written that down too, FYI. Um, look, <laughs> in that then... I need to ask you the hard question because you've been there, you've coached the Blues and you've coached many rugby teams. Was it the players tactically getting it wrong by aimlessly kicking the ball away or kicking at the wrong time or not finding their way into the right territory? Or was that the responsibility of the coaching team not getting their game plan right on the night? Because we've seen this happen before with the Blues when they were completely snookered by the Crusaders in the final last year, where they just came and got tactically outdone on, on the day. Did that happen again the other no uh, last night? Yeah, I think it was one of those horrible situations. They'll probably look back and go, um, so to answer your question, they'll probably look back and go, look, we probably should have hung on to the ball when we got it mm. back. Um, you know, get it in your 22. You probably need to be a little bit patient when you haven't had the ball. Maybe work to the middle, open the field up and try and get a better exit. Um, so they'll they'll probably reflect on that and go, yeah. And then I think they, they had a kicking game 
you know, to probably do some some um, kick passes and stuff like that, and the game just turned around to them. I think I think both, and something we need to think about as New Zealand teams, you know, the pressure that both defensive lines were putting on made it very difficult to attack. So, what do you what do you do? Do you take a bit more depth, or do you actually put more kicks in? So, I think that's that's a, a double-edged sword. You know, I mean, fifteen-three was the score. So the Blues will come away and go, okay, if we're going to be under pressure, if we're going to start and not have the ball for 25 minutes, um, you know, do we do we chance our arm a wee bit more to get ourselves in a better, you know, kicking attack position? So, and is that tactics? I guess it is, and that's that's the beauty of our game. You know, sometimes you can work the tactics all week, and and um, you know, the game is very very different to what you planned. JK, though, look, I mean, there's a lot of talk about Bowden Barrett and, you know, should we try and retain him after 2024 when he goes to Japan? But where is the game now? Why do we need to go to the coaches to change a game plan? Isn't that his job? Isn't that with all of his experience? He scored a try back in 2015 in the World Cup final. There was no direction. It just seemed aimless last night. I mean, whose responsibility is it? Yeah, and I don't think it was as bad as that. I just think it was a, a defensive pressure and they just didn't have enough. You couldn't. Like, sometimes when you watch teams play, all of our teams, they set up their kicking plan. So when the defence line's very fast, they might do a couple of chips over the top. They might do some kick passes. They might kick long. You know, most most teams, if they're in that middle part of the field, 10 metres to 10 metres, then they'll probably try try to chance their arm three or four times and then they'll, they'll kick for possession. So, you know, I just think there was... It was it was unbelievable how much defence the the Blues were on and how much they didn't have the ball, and I think that really threw them out. I mean, Bowden was talking. I watched him specifically. You know, he was talking. He came over the sideline. He he was sending messages up to the coaches. So, you know, I think you know that both these guys, both him and Moana, are too good not to be able to try and change what they're doing on the field. But sometimes you change, and um, that's not the answer. Right, and I think that happened happened last night. You saw them kick early, then they tried to run it a wee bit, tried to run it out, a um, couple of turnovers, and at the end of the day, there was probably a try in it being a perler of a finish. Um, you know, like we said before, so late in the game, you know, Bowden chanced his arm a wee bit with one of those little kicks of his. So I just think it's two outstanding sides, um, and it's like chess with contact, and sometimes you get those things wrong. Yeah, I agree. It was a a quality game in in physicality and line speed. Like you said, defensively, it was a real war of attrition. I totally concur with uh, your summary of it. I wanted to ask you about your area of expertise, JK. There were three all-black wingers on show out there and Dallas McLeod. Um, What did you make of their performances, given that I know that Ian Foster and the all-black selectors were all in the stand watching? Who do you think they would have been most impressed with? Well, if I if I came off the field last night and I was the other three wingers, I'd be going. Um, Leicester probably outplayed us all. Uh, mm. the, his hunger to go looking for the ball, even you know, I used to have a rule that if I was on the wing, I could work up until the far post, right? If we were going from left to right, I could work so come outside the ruck, do all that sort of stuff, and that's what Leicester does. At one stage, he came outside the nine and he was outside the second goalpost. So his work rate and his physicality 
uh, is awesome. You know, if I was if I was the All Black contractors, I'd be putting a contract on his on his table today. You know, um, mm. I, I, I like the other boy. I think he's growing. You know, he has many opportunities. He's coming through. So I thought he was solid. I, I like Talia. I don't think he got the chances probably that he'd like. I thought um, you know Caleb probably had his quietest night. He looked like he was carrying an injury. Um, and a couple of his kicks, so he had a bit of a, a probably a night he, he, he'd be looking back on and go, wow, you know. So I thought, um, you know, Leicester was probably the best out there and, mm. and what I thought was an all-black performance. I don't know how you saw it. Mm. Uh, JK, and I'll get you to comment on this as well, Justin. I mean, there's a lot of talk around Tom Christie and what he does at the breakdown, but I've got to say for the Blues, is there not a more underrated footballer in New Zealand at the moment than Adrian Choate? I mean, the guy's just a tackling machine. I mean, is he even remotely in the all-black frame? What a, why is it just certain guys just don't seem to have, uh, I don't know, just don't seem to get any sort of recognition? I'll, I'll say last year, you know, for the Chiefs, I thought Alex Nangaville was one in, in sort of midfield, and there just seems to be every season players like that. But look, if I'm rugby league, I'm signing Adrian Choate tomorrow. Oh, Alan Harvey, when I grew up, um, Marsh would probably have a couple of those guys. Unfortunately, yep. like, I think he's been outstanding. Choate has been outstanding. He was unbelievable last night like carried hard, tackled hard, you know, and he's been like that for the Blues all season. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. But I just think, like, I say this to people, you know, I'm sitting in the airport and everyone's asking me about selection. Who do you leave out? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when you talk about the All Blacks, who are you going to leave out for him? That's the hardest thing. Does he deserve to be there? Totally deserves a crack at some stage. But... Like, who do you leave out? You can't leave Sam Kane out. You can't leave Artie out. You can't leave Papa Lee out. Um, Ethan Blackadder. Mm. Yeah, you can't leave him out. And then you need someone that's got to cover six. And then possibly mm. you're thinking about Scott, you know, Scott Barrett covering six as well. So there's just no... We've always seen to... Hey, Marshall, you'd name a couple that, that you go, good enough to be all blacks, you know? But... Yeah. Which? Yeah, for sure. And and that's that's the conundrum that selectors face don't they that they've got to be careful that they don't try and pick players to fill in versatility positions because I don't feel that's where you get the best quality out of a team like if a guy is playing at blindside and is playing like a blindside carrying tough hitting people hard working like nothing else then that's his jersey that's his position you don't move him from lock to play blindside because you're trying to get a guy on the field. And that's, I feel, where the selectors are going to need to get to come all-black selection this year. They're going to have to get to a point where they are picking players. If you're the best winger, that's your jersey. doesn't mean you play wing and can possibly play fullback or centre. You bloody play wing because you're good at it. Well, that's what I was going to ask And that's you. where we're going to get the that's most out of you. Ask. I was going to ask you then, so where does Will Jordan play? Fullback. Fullback, because that's where he's always played, and that's his jersey. The only person that shifted him from there, it's not been Scott Robinson, has been Ian Foster, because he's trying to find a way to put Bowden on the field, or equally have Bowden on the field, but get Geordie on the field to kick the goal. So he's manipulating the team around, putting people in different jerseys, because he's trying to find a way to put guys on the field for specific reasons, like goal kicking. 
um, or potential X factor because they can't start in their actual jersey. Yeah, and we've seen, and we've come and done, haven't we, uh, Sir Johnny? I mean, you go back. Christian Cullen at centre back in '99. Um, Leon McDonald playing centre in 2003. You go back to Jerome Kano playing at lock against mm. Ireland in the United States. Um, uh, you know, every time we seem to take players and play them out of position, somehow we always come undone. Yeah, look, I think um, the back three is a little bit different, isn't it? I think all those guys are playing different positions. I'm, I'm a bit um, with Marshy. I think, I think combinations are really important. And you know, Marshy, you played in a position that was, you know, about your combination. I'm pretty sure that you didn't have to look sometimes, you know, yeah. to see if Mertz was yeah. there because you just played together so much. That's what I'm a little bit worried about, and it's no, it's no one's fault actually. Like our midfield combo. Um, you know, even when you think about Rico last night, you know, he's 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 had Heem out there, he's had Roger out there, he's had Summer out there, you know. Um, and in the All Blacks, when you think about great combinations, you know, Ma'anonu, Conrad Smith, you know, Walter Little, Craig Innes in my era, you know, that sort of, you need combinations to win or get that little pass away at the next level. And because the attrition rate's so big now and guys aren't getting to play with each other, I think they are real issues when you're coming down to winning really tight games. So I, I, I agree, but I think um, you've got to have a, a selection philosophy. If and the, the theirs is, I want to have the best rugby team out there, that would change that. But um, for me, one of the issues we need to get to, if we can, is like play what you think your combinations are. I mean, why are Retallick and White not so good? You know, they know mm. each other. They mm. know each other's game they complement each other you know one one plays really tight and does the line outs the other one plays a bit looser and you know does the does does a lot of the physical like you know so that that would be a concern for me getting your combinations out on the paddock so that they can do a a blind pass that's going to win you the world cup because you've played together so much sir john kerwin it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure having you on the program this afternoon my good man thank you Thanks, Jake. Happy Sunday, people. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, absolutely. 21 minutes away from 1 o'clock. You're listening to The Rugby Run. Power your business with Bunnings. Trade Power Pass. Uh, Mark Watson, Justin Marshall. We've got some really good texts that have come and we'll address those. Coming up after 1 o'clock, we'll have Tamati Ellison out of the Crusaders and then 1.30, uh, one of the absolute greats of the game, Timmy Horan. 17 minutes away from one, Mark Watson alongside of me, Justin Marshall. Justin, I, I want to ask you about an area of expertise, which is the breakdown. I know that you're, you're a master of the dark arts. Uh, what we've seen, I think, from the Chiefs taking Friday night out of the equation and what I think we've seen from the Crusaders is they're just a step up when it comes to recycling of position, when it comes to you know quick ruck ball and then just bringing the cleaners in but bringing the runners one or two off and playing direct. The Blues just seem to be a little bit slower in that area and I was talking to Steve Devine about it and he says that Tom Coventry, part of his signature, is just picking big bopping forwards. Uh, are the Blues lacking a bit of mobility? I mean, the Chiefs seem to have adopted the Irish way. Uh, the Crusaders, I think that was the difference last night. Uh, look, I thought the Blues were really competitive at the breakdown last night. So uh, that was a shift for them because I think, yeah, it's been an area where they have been struggling. But their mindset last night tended to be that they wanted to be aggressive. And I think they got some really pivotal, crucial turnovers, particularly in the first half when they needed to. Um, guys like Tui Pilotu and uh, Sotutu actually use their big bodies and, and bust through some breakdowns. Um, so I, I thought they made um, a good fist of it 
last evening. So we're probably going to have to enter into a debate about that, oh, Watto, but that's fine. No, um, no, no, it's a good observation. Um, no, um, again, you, you guys are the experts. I'm watching it probably a little bit more as a yeah. fan, and I probably went in there with maybe that premeditation, and so mm. you know, I might not have been looking at it fairly. Were they hard done by at scrum time at set piece? I heard you, you yeah. and Nisbo at yeah. times, we looked like we had parity, only to be penalised for wheeling mm. it at times. Yeah, I thought there was a there was a genuine one where both front rows to me just appeared to go down simultaneously, and the Blues got penalised, and I thought that was really harsh and and probably just too uh, quick. You know, it's like okay, look, it's just both front rows have gone down. Yeah, it could have been the fault of maybe one not quite grabbing a bind, but look, both front rows have hit the ground. Let's just reset. For there to be a penalty off that, I thought that was uh, had gone too far. And then equally, yeah, there were a couple of scrums where. The Blues got accused of wheeling it, but you could see that, particularly on one occasion, Offa Tuanga Fasi was quite adamant that they were moving forward and that they didn't create the spin. And when you looked at the replay, you probably agreed with them. So, yeah, look, the Crusaders scrum is well-known for pushing people around the park, isn't it? And probably there's a premeditation that anything that goes wrong is not their fault. Um, and I thought a couple of instances last night, it was particularly not the Blues' fault, and that deserved either a reset, but d- definitely didn't warrant a penalty. So in answer to your question, yes, I do think the Blues are hard done by a couple of times, we don't at least. We don't, want to br- we don't want to bring up the word subconscious bias, do we? <laughs> no, we you'll don't. Be, you'll, be, you'll be all over the papers tomorrow, Justin, if you say anything. Exactly. You know that Justin Marshall says that it's his subconscious bias in Super Rugby. <laughs> uh, mind you, you're actually in saying that. You're actually uh, going in to defend the Blues there. Hey, uh, look, uh, we, we've got another commercial break. We do need to get out. But I just want to ask you this. How concerned will the Crusaders be that for all the position they had in that first 30 minutes, that they could only really create the one opportunity and that the Blues' defence was able to hold them? I mean, you know, they've got so many tacking weapons and yet, you know, it, it was just the one try. Yeah, tactically, they they were different than I thought they would be because out of the first four entries into the 22 when they got penalties and then kicked for touch instead of kicking for goal, I was totally expecting the line-out more, but every single time they did a variation of some form of appeal. And ironically, even when they scored that first try, the Blues did a pretty good job at stifling them all. It was only through some really good explosive work and, and experience of Cody Taylor to break away and, and go on an angle that the Blues weren't expecting, which set it up for Strange just to basically pounce on the ball and lob over, that they weren't as good in that area as I thought they were. The Blues had really done their homework. Um, look, they had a mountain of possession. The fact that they had um, the, the basically the... Uh, Blues at 34, 36 tackles, I think it was, to only two after six minutes in the game meant that they were fatiguing them as well. You know, they were not only carrying and dominating position, but possession, but they were making them make tackles and they just couldn't break them down. I think at pivotal times they were just a little guilty of probably uh, just buttoning off either at the breakdown or just getting a player isolated that enabled the Blues to get in there and um, disrupt their flow. Uh, so, yeah, they'll be a little bit worried that they, for all of that position, uh, position took so long to break the Blues down. Um, and you've got to try and put your finger on which way around it swayed. Was it the Blues' outstanding defence and resilience or was it the Crusaders just slightly off with their attack? 
12 minutes away from one o'clock, you are listening to The Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall, power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. You can text us here on the Temper Bedpost text machine. When we come back, we will address those texts. You can text us here on double eight double three, and I'll just get um, Justin Marshall to comment on a couple of these texts that have come in. Internationally, we see good teamwork uh, beat teams of superstars every time the All Blacks lose. So often, other teams become greater than the sum of their parts against us. Players that can't get close to being an All Black go overseas, play for someone else, flourish, and then beat us in a lesser team on paper. That comes from Scott, and I guess that's in reference to the Reds, who probably on paper or reputation uh, came in as underdogs against the Chiefs, but got the job done. Yeah, and, and equally, uh, you think about um, teams like Ireland, I guess, and players that go away that can't cut it here and come back, like Bundy Aki, and are a completely different player uh, and cause us problems. And get uh, yeah, yeah, but because of, I guess, looking them in that light, you, you underestimate their quality and know that and don't know that they find their niche. And, uh, you know, there's certainly been plenty of instances of that in the past. And, uh, yeah, I guess that complacency is not something that you're ever thinking as you lead into a test match uh, or, or even a super game or whatever game you might be playing. You always respect the opposition, but um, I think you've got to make sure that you you don't underestimate them um, in, in regard to the fact that they can still bring a skill set to the game that can open, open you up. And, you know, there's a possibility that the Chiefs are a little bit guilty of that um, on Friday night. Got a text coming in from Chris suggesting that we've got huge problems at lock. Once Sam Whitelock goes, then Brady, then we've just got basically um, Scott Barrett left. I think we will get found out first game, then drop out in the quarters. So someone not overly optimistic. Yeah. Is lock the area where we are weak in terms of depth? Um, No, I don't think so. I certainly think there's some some good emerging talent coming through at lock. Um, There's some grafters out there, no doubt about it, uh, that – you know, week in, week out, always produce performances. But, you know, you want high quality when you look at the locking stocks around the world and some of the players that are really, you know, world class right now. Uh, you know, we've got to be equal or better than that. Um, but I certainly feel that the talent that's coming through, the there's people that sort of need more time, you know, the likes of Josh Lord, um, for example. Uh, just a lot of them need more game time. You know, the, there's some good locks at the Crusaders, but they can't get a look in with Barrett and Whitelock. Um, basically holding a mortgage on those jerseys. And that's half the problem that, you know, good players that we've got at the moment probably restricting our growth. Yeah, I thought, uh, I've got 30 seconds, I thought Quentin Strange was very good last night for the Crusaders. Yeah, so did I. And uh, me, he was pretty pissed off when he got called off too, yeah, he wasn't was, he? He was yeah. shaking which, his head which, like nothing else. Which is great. Real early in the second half. Mm. Well, yeah, which is great because shows the emotion we want to see more of it right Tommy Allison out of the Crusaders coming up after one I want to ask him the same question asked Justin are they concerned that they couldn't score more tries with so much possession in that first half and just his general reflection on that game last night did he see the knock on by the way did he see the clear knock on yes indeed they just find a way don't they you sat down there last night and you thought can the Blues really go down and beat the Crusaders and if you're a betting man and you were thinking with your head not your heart you'd say no and again, it was the Crusaders who came up victors 15 points to three after a very good defensive effort from the Blues. One of the assistant coaches, former All Black, Tamadi Allison, now joins us. Tamadi, good afternoon. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Boy, that was um, gladiatorial. That was just two sides beating each other up. A lot of sore bodies, I would have thought, this morning. Yeah, you look that way. Um, as, you, as you said, it was a, a ding-dong battle, especially in the first half around the breakdown, so... Boys will have earned their rest today. 
Tommy, thanks for joining us. Marshy here. Um, appreciate it. Uh, look, yeah, it was physical, big time. Um, what, what were you guys talking about in the box, sort of 15-odd minutes in with all of that possession and domination um, and still not able to find any points? And and turning down kickable threes, were you, were you feeling comfortable about that? Um, yeah, we. that's probably just a, a few bits of execution there in the... Um right on the line um, and having a look at the tape and seeing how we can clean that up whether um, there was an option to try a different method or not but we were happy with the pressure we were applying I mean from a defensive perspective I know where I'd rather be um, so yeah it was, it was a matter of just having a look is, is there anything there where we can um, expose them with a different option near the line yeah that was quite evident I was quite surprised because you could you could almost sort of put your mortgage on the fact that when you guys got onto that 22, you were going to test them with line-out more. But um, for the first three or four times, you just uh, did some peels, used Leicester coming off the tail of the line-out as well. So was that something you thought the Blues would be expecting and you threw something different at them? I think SH and, and Scooter had a had a good plan around the line-outs. I don't, I'm not sure we thought we'd get that many in the first, um, the first half there to manage. Um, you know, how we won the ball and where we went with it. Um, keep keeping in mind that we'd lost moods early in the game, so if we went to the line-out drive for too long, we, we may guess the, the, the props who are going to have to play long minutes. When you think about um, the context of, a, of the attack, uh, man, right, Leicester last night, he was involved so heavily. Is that just a licence for him to roam from you guys and just feel his way uh, in, in the game or um, is that tactically something you want him doing and you're telling him, you know, get, get to pick and go areas and, and just uh, be wherever you want to be? Yeah, it's one of the same thing. We've got plans for, for Lester around the, the strikes but also um, he does a good job going to find his way into the pick and go zone and um, and he's just so aggressive on the carry. Um, the, his ability to shake tacklers with his feet or with his upper body and get us rolling has been has been unreal this year. Justin and I were discussing this last week around Leicester Whanganuku. Has he done a lot? Has he worked on his acceleration? Has he worked on his basic overall speed? Because that seems to be another component that's come into his game this season. Yeah, I'm not sure in, in a real specific um, way, but. I think he's he started the season with some confidence and he's continued to build on that. He's definitely getting coached hard from SH and and making sure that he's right on his on his detail throughout the week. Um, but I think he's confident and he's and he's happy um, and he's getting pushed each week to to be better. So um, I mean, I think. He's enjoying his footy at the moment. It, 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 look, just one other thing, and then I'll throw it back to Justin. But look, I know the referees maybe read it slightly differently, but sitting at home watching this, I felt at times the Blues possibly had parity at scrum time. Is, was that a slight area of concern? Is that a slight area of concern going forward, or did you not see it that way? Oh, I mean, you're probably asking the wrong guy around. <laughs> um, How <laughs> come every one of you but... backs, every one of you backs seems to know nothing about forward play? Justin knows nothing, and you're telling me, Tamati, you know nothing. Yeah, yeah. I know when the ball comes out our side, um, we're ready to go. Oh, I mean, it would be a concern. Um, but again, I I'm talking out of my lane here, so that's some, probably a question for DP later in the week. 
going back into your lane then, and good answer, mate, because I gave exactly the same one. Um, <laughs> thinking about you know, the, the selections you're, you're making at the moment and the players you've got coming back into the mix. Like I thought Jack uh, was really good off the bench last night. He he looked to get involved. He carried hard a, a few times, um, looked, looked to be working well. And you, you obviously felt that you could trust Dallas um, starting on the wing. Um, you're going to have some tough decisions to make um, with all these guys coming back and being fit for selection in the next few weeks? Yeah, it's, it's actually a good problem to have considering how we how we started the year where um, I was looking over the office at Jimmy Marshall to see whether he'd think about <laughs> um, put, putting a jersey on. So it, it's positive. Yes, um, you want to have those hard conversations and you want um, competition internally. And Jack was great when he came on. He's a, you know, he's a pure 13. He's a big body. Um, and he knows what he's doing on a rugby field, that's for sure. So you see him as a 13, not a 12? Um, yeah, I, I, I probably do. Um, I'm unsure he probably sees himself in the same position. But he can do both roles. And, and the midfield role at the moment, depending on how you want to balance your kicks, uh, they're very similar. Defensively, they're almost identical now, um, 12 and 13. It's always, I guess, when you're coaching Tamari and, and you've you've had a good win, to sort of look at everything that you've done and could have done better and areas you want to improve in and areas you thought were good. But do, do you actually sort of sit there and, and then also think about, okay, the opposition, like the Blues, where did you see them being good? And obviously they're going to be there in the finals, aren't they? They're, they're a good enough side to do that. Um, where, where did you think that they were um, impressive last night? Um, I think you always have to respect their knockout power um, with with mm. the, the people they have on the field, um, you know, all over that back line and, and especially um, in the loose forward trio. So, um, you know, that's, that's something in their game, their ability to move the ball around the field with their kicking, um, with Zahn and Bodie. And, um, so that, those are definitely the areas of, of their game that we have to respect. Um, well, I'm Talking D specifically here, um, you know, the set piece is obviously another one. Your game coming up Friday night, you take on Moana Pacifica. Um, you'll be playing that up here at Mount Smart Stadium or are you playing that away? I think it's up here in Auckland, isn't it? Um, do you start? Yeah, to, do, you, do, do you ring the changes here or are you getting to that time of the year now where it is about just consistency and combinations, knowing that, you know, you're starting to get towards the business end of the season? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, it's a bit of both once we... We get the medical reports today that often is, is the first thing we look for. Um, but there's a yeah, combination of guys returning, um, all blacks that are potentially um, coming up for rotation um, form and, and everything in between. So um, we, we, we got full respect for mine, especially the team that that played against the Blues um, the week earlier. Uh, I think it's their last home game, so they're going to come out flying, that's for sure. Well, Tamadi Ellison, congratulations on another very good one last night. A wonderful exhibition, great crowd turning up, and uh, all the very best for the game uh, this Friday night against Moana Pacifica. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was awesome to have a have a great crowd down here, and, and I hope people up in Auckland get in behind um, the game this weekend as well. Oh, any chance for the Aucklanders to come out and give you boys a bit of grief, I'm sure. 
<laughs> yeah. We love you up here. We love you. Seriously. <laughs> Thanks, Tavity. It is nine minutes after one. You are listening to The Rugby Run, Mark Watson and Justin Marshall. We'll take a break, but if you do want to have your say, we've got a bit, we're going to go to Timmy Horan, one of the greats at one thirty. Keen to get his thoughts on that Reds performance, a look at uh, Super Rugby across the Australian teams as well. Uh, telephone numbers 0800 You can text us here on double eight double three. Power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. Telephone numbers 0800 Now, I know our first caller up, he'll be ringing up because he'll be absolutely fuming with the referees. He was a little bit fuming against the Chiefs when the Crusaders lost to the Chiefs. But I know he knew there was a Crusaders knock-on off the back of the Papalihi um, yellow card against Richie Mwanga, and he's probably ringing up to talk about how clearly the referees got it wrong. Graham, good afternoon. <laughs> no, not today, uh, Mark. I've changed my tune since two weeks ago, and I was going to mention my me fuming two weeks ago. Well, I'm not fuming. I, I was at the game, and I did not see the knock on. I know, well, I was probably. Go and watch yep, it. Sorry. Go and sorry. watch it on yep. TV, Graham. It's so bloody oh, yeah, blatant. Well, I'll see the replay. Yep, yep. But I'll tell you what. Um, I've seen plenty of Auckland, Canterbury and Crusader Blues games and I've, you know, going back a few decades. So, um, you know, it's uh, what goes around comes around. <laughs> Sometimes we've been on the end of things, but, you know, that's just the way it goes. Um, so sorry about that. Yeah, I've not been able to comment on it, but I'll have a look, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right, but I'm not fuming. I'm just happy we won, to be honest. Oh, that was a great effort by the team without Sam Whitelock and Ethan Blackadder and... Um, yeah, no, I, you know, they they had to fight hard and they came back well and I think like probably like Justin and you know, and John Kerwin and we're talking about last hour and to my, to somebody Williams just now, you know, they uh, you know, they had to dig deep, you know, against a pretty tough blue side. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And and uh good afternoon to you, Graham. Um good to hear from you. Yeah, it was a quality I just thought it was a quality game of rugby and, and I think I said it um at the, the end of commentary and in, in the summary, um, I said, "Look, if you if you see that score, and you haven't seen the game, it pro- you probably think, oh, I probably don't want to watch it because it looks like it was probably quite a boring game and didn't have yeah, a lot of yeah. tries." And I thought the intensity that it brought was close to Test match level. The physicality was absolutely at the, at the top of the table in, in, in terms of anything you're going to see in the competition and. It was just two teams with great individuals that went at each other hard right from the right from the outset. And uh, yeah, there was there was to a degree slightly defensively orientated, um, but you know there's not many teams that um, would want to be in a battle like that because there'll be some sore bodies because uh, you know the, the the quality of it was extremely high. I thought. Uh, Graham, uh, Graham, I yep, just I, Graham, I just want to quickly ask, and then I'm going to have to move on. But uh, you, you mentioned there no Ethan Blackadder, no Sam Whitelock to come back into the side. Uh, Justin was earlier talking about um, uh, Jack Goodyear coming back into the side. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I still say it. I still think the Crusaders will win this whole competition. Um, have you seen enough to suggest that too? Do you believe that you've got the upward trajectory now? I do, you know, but like, you know, like last week, Justin asked me, and I agreed with him when he's about after the fourth game, whether we're there yet, you know, probably no team, you know, there, whereas there is the end of the competition and winning it, but they're in the, they're in with a big chance, and, and I think they have got, they're going in the right trajectory, yeah, no, definitely, yeah, I, I really believe that, and, um, you know, as you say, Jack Goodhue's back now, and that's, that's great news, because he's had, 
you know, troubled uh, couple of years, Jack, and got a lot of time for him off the field as well. And um, yeah, but yeah, no, I think they have. And, and you know, the Chiefs losing, they'll you know they'll bounce back too. Yeah. But it'll give them a bit of doubt too. Oh you know, yeah. Oh, I actually, th- I actually think it'll just make them stay even more focused. Hey, lovely to have you on the program, Graham. Hi, Mikey. Oh, g'day. How you going? Good, thank you. Hey, um, as a Cantabrian, I'm extremely happy with last night's performance, and I think one of the things lost here, perhaps, is that um, Blues never scored a try against us. So the defence there was, I think, was pretty outstanding. But I, I want to ask Justin one thing. I watched the Hurricanes game yesterday, and it's a player I've never come across. Who's the first five for the Hurricanes? He was outstanding. Morgan. Aiden Morgan, yeah, Mikey, like he he, he was um, one of the players that at the start of the season they were probably banking on being there to sort of fill the void when they needed um, when they needed to rest players. Brett Cameron, they obviously brought back, uh, and they were probably going to be relying on him and possibly Garden Bishop as well. Um, but obviously, he's just uh, flourished from getting opportunities. It's Brett Cameron getting injured and. He's always had great potential, um, and he's just been a sort of slot-in player. But uh, I think uh, I totally agree with what you've, what you've said, that the more time that he gets, the better he starts to understand how to piece a full t- game together because he's always had the attacking qualities, but he just tended to drift a bit because he didn't get enough minutes. But, yeah, um, he was outstanding for sure. Yeah, so so one of the, my bugbears in probably the last five years is this, like box kicking and aimless just kicking for the sake of it. But I thought his positional kicking is the best I've seen all year. Um, and, uh, you know, more more for that, please. Because I remember Mertz used to do the same sort of thing, kick it down to the corners, positional yep. play. And I just thought, man, this is this is, this is is a, a throwback to the, the old times when, when the, you know, you kicked the ball, you used it properly. It was fantastic. Yeah, and I think like it's really valid that you bring that up because I thought last night the Blues in particular really hurt themselves with their mm. kicking game. There, there were times where they, they kicked possession away when they just needed to hold it because they hadn't had it for long enough. There were times when they they kicked it away without actually thinking about the result of the kick, which is you when you put boot to ball, you've got to think about how what am I looking to get out of this? Really good territory that gains us momentum, finds the grass, and all of a sudden we're in the right half. Pressure on the the, cat, the person that's receiving it so that they are vulnerable. Um, maybe get the ball back, whatever it might be. And I just thought last night the kicking game um, that the Blues produced really hurt their game plan big time because they just didn't think about it well enough and there was a lot of kick and hope going on. Mm. Certainly... Aidan Morgan wasn't doing that, so you're bang on in your summary of his performance. Yeah, well done, Mikey. Lovely to have you on the programme. Don't be a stranger. I keep saying this. I think talk back is a better experience when you phone the programme. Telephone number's 0800 Hi, Dean. You guys, I've got a little bit of a different tack on what I've sort of been hearing. I was pleased Justin said that about the, the kicking at the Blues. I was so looking forward to that game after the Chiefs-Crusaders game a couple of weeks ago when I thought that the Crusaders might have been a um, gallop short, and it was a very, very good game. Both teams were trying. Like for me, it looked like Auckland. I can't believe that at this stage of the season, and they're, they're try- still trying to sort out the back line. Like Twelve and thirteen is a huge issue for them with the talent they've got out wide. But it was like the England in the eighties. Just that was rubbish kicking from Bowden. 
honestly, it was rubbish kicking. Like, for me, it looked like one team tried their guts out. And in rugby union, when you're trying real hard to attack, and the opposition got a defensive mindset to keep it close, and then we'll try and have a crack with 10 or 15 to go, it's a hard, hard game to play. Very, very hard game to play. And it almost came off for the Blues when they had a fly kick three times, and thank God Will Jordan got back. And the guy before, I'm not sure if it was in or not, but he got the second mm. kick and sort of got it going sideways. Like That's the best they got. And they got into the 22 after 30 minutes, the Blues, got a shot at two penalty awarded. I thought they'd kick it into the corner and have a crack. It was only 7-0, and they took three. It just said to me they were there to keep it close, keep it close, because the back line doesn't work. Like I honestly think Bowden would love to be back in the hurricane. It's just not working. Yeah, back yeah Dean, I, I agree, agree with your summary of the fact that, you know, they, they didn't help themselves. Um, certainly felt that they made one entry just just outside of the 22, but the, the entry into the 22 that they thought that they were going to get some change out of was Zahn Sullivan trying a, a cross kick that went horribly wrong. And basically they kicked away position when they, they didn't have it. Um, you certainly feel that they're lacking synergy in that back line, which is resulting in them kicking the ball away aimlessly because they're lacking ideas. I honestly thought when they brought Bryce Heem onto the field that their attack started to straighten a bit, and it was just it was just because of the fact that he just wanted to get his hands on the ball and carry hard. And 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 all of a sudden, Bowden had somebody working off him that uh, wanted to run hard, got over the advantage line, and then all of a sudden he was getting more more front foot ball. Um, so you you're right again. They've they've really struggled to to pin, particularly a twelve down, and maybe he's the answer. Um, but equally to get a good solid combination out there. And Peter Fetter missing, I believe, is not helping Bowden Barrett one single bit. Like Zan Sullivan's a great player, but Peter Fetter taking the pressure off Bowden, um, I think has been the reason that he's played better rugby. And now that he's missing out of that mix, Bowden's suffering. Uh, Justin, I ask you this, why should Bowden Barrett make the All Black team other than the simple word of experience? Because, you know, you go around the country, you look at the likes of what Stevenson's doing for the Chiefs, you have a look at... Uh, Geordie Barrett, who can play at fullback. You've got um, uh, Will Jordan sitting there as well. Damien McKenzie playing brilliantly at first 5'8". I, I, I mean, other than reputation, we're trying to win a World Cup. You've talked about taking players in form. You've talked about players and playing them in their position. I, I just haven't seen anything from Bowden Barrett consistently enough this season. I'm not sure I saw enough from him last year either. I think probably because you need to take at least three tens, and, and one of those will probably be... I would imagine someone like Damien McKenzie who can play 10 and 15 um, because that gives you that ability to have an X-factor player. Um, even though I'm very adamant about them getting the right jersey on, I think he's one of the only unique situations of a guy that can just adapt from week to week and play that position at the highest quality. Uh, and I simply also feel that they're, they're, when you look across the board, there's no one else. They're like... Uh, Ultimately, you need a guy like Bowden Barrett in the team. Should Richie Moonga fall over, would you trust Damien McKenzie um, or whoever else you want to pick to go to guide the team in a Rugby World Cup final when you've got a guy that's been to two World Cup finals before uh, to, to, to get the job done? I, I think you need to have that type of player in your squad because he, he, he won't be phased, daunted, overawed by um, having to go out there and control the game and, and get the job done on the day. 25 minutes after one, you are listening to The Rugby Run, Temper Bedpost, text machine, double eight double three, And just want to acknowledge too, 
that you can power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. We're going to take a break. When we come back, one of the greats of Australian rugby will join us on the programme, Timmy Horan. 29 minutes after one, you are listening to The Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great Justin Marshall. Speaking of great, our next guest, one of the greatest ever to play at centre, Timmy Horan. Tim, good afternoon. Welcome. Afternoon, guys. Thanks for having us on the show again. It's been a while. Yeah, Tim, just uh, some sad news here in New Zealand. The great Bruce Robertson passing away on Friday night. Yeah, sad news, isn't it? Um, I you know, looked him up yesterday and sort of saw, you know, obviously what a player he was and, um, you know, how valuable he was for the All Blacks and not just on the field but also off the field and what an ambassador for the game of rugby in New Zealand he was but also globally as well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely one of the Prince of Centres often picked in the All Blacks' greatest ever 15s when we do have those. Uh, Tim, let's switch the focus to Friday night. Where does that performance sit in the history of the Reds when we look at Super Rugby in whatever format since 1996? Because that was unexpected. That was against a team that was unbeaten and that was played here in New Zealand. Yeah, it's up there. Uh, of course, the Reds hadn't won in New Zealand for 10 years. I didn't realise it was that long. Um, we had some pretty close losses there, but to win there for the first time in 10 years is huge. And probably in the context of where the Queensland Reds are at the moment, of course, Brad Thorne you know, leaving the club at the end of Super Rugby Pacific. And I think sometimes those matches too, and Marsh, you'd probably agree, you go to those matches where you're you know, huge outsiders. Um, you, know, you, you go in there thinking, well... What's the? There's no downside here for us, and the players they were inspired by, of course, what Brad Thorne's going to leave in a few weeks' time, and it was a very good performance, defensively outstanding, and it's probably for the Chiefs side when you look at the Chiefs, it's probably good to have a loss before the finals because you go through undefeated. I'd be quite nervous going into the finals of the Chiefs undefeated and having not lost a game throughout the competition so far. Uh, Timmy, good to hear your voice, mate, and really good to have you on the show when an Australian team's actually finally won a game <laughs> in any format, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> she's, always, she's always been a tough ass for you, mate, but you can gloat now, so uh, we'll allow you to do that. Um, well, well, look, uh, we were talking about Tate McDermott earlier, and I've always been a, a, a believer that he's the best nine going around Australia and has been for the last two to three years, but doesn't ever seem to consistently get picked. Um, where do you think he'll sit in Eddie Jones's plans? Yeah, it'll be interesting, Marshy. Um, probably on your first point, yeah, we've sort of obviously the Reds beat the Chiefs on Friday night and we're just in Canberra at the moment, of course, the the, the uh, Brumbies are taking on the Highlanders. So we might get two from two, Marshy, against the Kiwi wow. teams this weekend. That's, Gee, that's probably a while since that happened. <laughs> That you could take a public holiday for a week. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, public holiday tomorrow. Hey, um, yeah, I think Tate McDermott on your point there. Um, you've got Nick White, number one, um, in the scrum halves. And you've got a couple that sits outside of that. Of course, Ryan Lonigan, who sits on the bench for the Brumbies, is currently in Eddie Jones' first Wallaby squad. Yeah, and Tate McDermott, you know, he, I suppose when you're in a, a team that hasn't been so successful this year, like the Reds, Tate McDermott, um, his own form has been pretty strong. So it'd be interesting to see what Eddie Jones does. Uh, he'll select another uh, Wallaby squad in four weeks' time. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tate McDermott's in that squad. Um, you'd think he'd probably, to Rugby World Cup, do you take two scrum halves or do you take three? So that's probably the, the point that Eddie Jones has got to look at. And hopefully he'll give all those guys an opportunity. And also you've got Jake Gordon, of course, who captains the Waratahs, is in pretty good form as well. So uh, it's a good decision to have. Yeah, it is a good decision. It's a, nice to have depth rather than uh, scrambling to try and find players, I guess. Uh, 
bit of chat um, out of New Zealand, sort of saying that this is possibly a corner slightly turned um, for Australian rugby, that a, a side can come here with Wallabies in it um, as well and beat you know our best side in the country at the moment. Um, do you see it as a, a bit of a rainbow, a bit of a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, or do you see it more as just being uh, maybe a little bit complacency from the Chiefs, um, or do you validate that it was just a really good performance and, and the future looks brighter? Yeah, I think the future is looking reasonably bright for Australian teams, Marshy. And, you know, there's some good young players coming through. The depth around positions like the back row, our outside backs. You look at Max Jorgensen, Mark Nwanganitawase, and all those type of players. And you've got, you know, those players with the Queensland Reds who really stood up in the back row. Some of those players you might not have heard a lot of, but um, in club football in Brisbane the last couple of years been really strong. And you've got... Someone like, you know, in the Queensland Reds now, you could say they were a young team two, maybe three years ago, but now they're really starting to mature. And, you know, Liam Wright and those type of players, um, you know, with Tate McDermott, they've got a lot more leadership there now. So I think for Australian rugby teams, um, you look at the Melbourne Rebels and how well they've played this year, but they're still outside the eight. So... I think the competition's allowed the Australian teams to build depth over the last two years, and especially going into a Rugby World Cup, there's some tough decisions for Eddie Jones and the selectors, which is a good problem to have. And um, you know, wins like that away from home are important. Beating beating a New Zealand team in Australia, yeah, big tick. But you know, beating a New Zealand team in New Zealand, that's um, a, a bit of a corner turn for um, Australian teams now to go forward with. Yeah, I just want to talk about, you talked about depth in Australian rugby and when Dave Rennie was basically sacked and replaced by Eddie Jones, um, it was clearly because of his win-loss ratio, uh, his inability maybe to, you know, consistently put the same team out every week and I think that was probably, the loss to Italy was probably that uh, breaking point. But is his legacy, his legacy in time, I said this, I, I felt that his legacy was the fact that he will create depth in Australian rugby. Is that a fair assessment? Is that his legacy? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, the amount of players he had to use, one, because of injuries in the Wallabies, but two, because he wanted to create that broader depth in the Wallaby squad. And uh, about three, four weeks ago, I did a couple of interviews with one with Eddie Jones and a couple with some players at the the Wallaby squad camp, and all of them said how great um, Dave Rennie was and what a legacy he, he's left. And, the, and Eddie Jones said it himself, that he's left this uh, Wallaby squad in a really good position for Eddie to pick up and, and take forward. So, um, you know, a lot of the players were quite keen to have Dave Rennie take them through the Rugby World Cup. Of course, Eddie Jones came along and that stopped that. But, yeah, he's left a, left a reasonably wide squad there for Eddie Jones to take forward in a lot of different positions now. Where do you see the Waratahs going from here? They've got some players back. They look a bit of balance. Uh, they've got a bit of strike now, which they were lacking. Um, getting guys like Parisi back um, really helps their balance, particularly in their back line. Um, they've got some quality finishes out wide. Do you do you see them challenging in, in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and possibly even going further? Marshy, I reckon the Waratahs are the smoky team going into the... When you go to quarterfinals, they're going, so I think the top five are probably out and gone. 
Um, so it's really everyone's fighting for six, seven, and eight. And the Waratahs, they get a couple of players back. Um, Lenny Siu, he's um, been out sort of this weekend. If he comes back, uh, Lange Gleeson's in great form. Um, of course, take um, Gordon, the way that he leads this team around. And, and they're back three now. It's just starting to get connected. Um, Dylan Peach, um, Mark Nwonganitawase, and then, of course, Max Jorgensen at 15. Had a bit more time in that 15 jersey. Of course, he's still only 18 years of age. We've got to realise that. But... They just started to get connected at the moment, and they're going to be a very hard team to beat. They can get some momentum. They've got um, Drua next week, then they play the Crusaders, then they play Moana. So you would think they'd pick up two of those next three matches, which is going to sit them, you know, in sixth position. May get to fifth if they can, but they're going to be a really tough team to beat in those quarterfinals coming up in four weeks' time. What are you up to today, Timmy? Are you doing the um, Highlanders-Brumbies game? I saw a picture of you during the week uh, with your cowboy hat on from your farm with a can (laughs) of beer in your hand, and I was thinking to myself, I hope you're not doing that today, um, that you are actually doing some work. Uh, I was was out at the farm last weekend, Marshy. We were buying some new Angus steers and selling a few, so it's all a bit of fun. But we've just arrived down in Canberra at GIO Stadium, so I'm here with Nick McArdle and... Where he says wish his best and um, <laughs> yeah so <laughs> good opportunity for the Highlanders here of course the Highlanders um, no Aaron Smith again Fakatava playing at nine so that's going to be a, a nice little battle um, Nick White who of course is going to the Western Force next year for two years the Wallaby number nine so yeah the interesting one for the Highlanders to see if they can try and climb out of that bottom four and get into the top eight this afternoon. Oh, well, just finally, because we will let you go. We know you've got work to do. Um, and not surprising to hear Nick McArdle either get his voice or his face somehow on some form of any media. So not surprised to hear him yelling out. Um, I heard that, Marcy. There you go. I knew it. Um, where where do you see the Brumbies, uh, mate? They, they, they've been pretty consistent all year. Struggled away, obviously, uh, in New Zealand. But you would think that their push to, to getting at least to a final has to be them playing quarters and semi at home um, if they're going to be successful because they don't look so good in New Zealand. Yeah, I think, Marcia, you're right. I mean, Steve Larkin um, has taken this team to a different level after Dan McKellar left, and Dan McKellar did a wonderful job as coach for the Brumbies. But then Steve Larkin, I think his experience offshore in, in Ireland, uh, he understands the kicking game a bit more, understands the, the grind of week-in, week-out rugby now. And, yeah, you're right. They've got to finish in the top two. So they've got to finish second. They finish second, mm. you get a home quarter, then you get a home semi, um, and then if you get through to the final... Um, you know, it depends on who you play. You might host a final if the Chiefs get knocked out along the way and you finish the top top of the table. So, uh, really important to stay in this top two. So, this afternoon's game's important in many different ways, but yeah, for the Brumbies to get back in the top two. So, um, but we're just about to jump out of the car. We're going to go get a Villies pie and um, and a soft drink and, and rip into this one, the Savi Marshy. Oh, well, thanks for joining us, Timmy. Say good day to, to all the lads there from Stan Sport and. Um... You guys behave yourself tonight in Canberra. I know what a quiet town can be like when the big city slickers come in, so make sure we don't see in the papers tomorrow, eh? No, we'll be all good, Marcy. We won't follow your lead.
Lovely to have you on the programme, Tim Horan. Thank you. It is 19 minutes away from 2 o'clock. You are listening to The Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall, Power Your Business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. We'll take a break. We'll come back with some of the texts. And I don't know, we might get Justin to maybe name his starting 15 right here, right now, to take on the French if it was the first game of the Rugby World Cup, just based on form, based on everybody being available. So we'll get Justin Marshall. Maybe have a wee think during the break on who his fullback, his two wings, his midfield, and his forwards might be in terms of a starting 15. 14 and a half minutes away from 2 o'clock. You can text us here on the Temper Bed Post text machine, double eight double three. We've got some texts, and I'll get Justin to address those shortly. Justin, we've got the Highlanders taking on the Brumbies. Everybody wants the Highlanders to beat the Brumbies, to give the New Zealand teams um, home semi-final advantage. What makes it so difficult to play in Canberra? Why is it such a fortress for the Brumbies? And why is it that they seem to be able to consistently put good sides out when I guess I have a perception that New South Wales and Queensland perhaps have more talent to choose from and just seem to have bigger and larger populations? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, Cam- Canberra is a hard place to play at, and, and it is a fortress uh, for the Brumbies. Um, I think just because it's steeped in history and they, they formulated such a formidable side there, particularly in those early years of Super Rugby, that... They got a good support base behind them. Uh, it's a little bit different to regular Australian conditions, where it's more uh, more like the Lower South Island. It's, it's probably a sister city of somewhere like Invercargill or Dunedin. Um, so they have their own environment and that they're used to and, and to, to play in. Uh, and I just think that they are, you know, always a well-drilled, well-organised um, outfit, regardless of. Uh, you know what personnel that they're they're putting out, um, and and Canberra's uh, it's not a lively city, but it's a nice city. So yeah, I, I just think probably more than anything, it's not so much the destination; it's just their history uh, demands that when they front up in front of their home supporters because they've been so successful in the past, they're always a tough nut to crack. Uh, it'll be a fascinating game this afternoon. I think Timmy got it bang on where he said that. It's one of those games that's a must-win for the Brumbies, but yet the Highlanders are just a team that are simmering away, waiting to knock somebody over, really. Uh, It's just about whether or not they can find their rhythm. You know, you mentioned that Aaron Smith was missing, yes. Um, They got Burns starting again at 10. Um, And that back three, you know, of of Gregory, uh, Nardeki, and then a really unique decision to put Connor Garden Bashup at 15. So... You know, in all of that mix, what I'm saying is, you know, do they find their rhythm for some of those sort of different styled selections or are they just going to trend the same way they are where they can stay in the fight but eventually fall away? Yeah, Lynchy's back in the number six jersey. Harmon at seven, renting yep. a day. It's not a bad loose forward trio, is it, on paper? Well, you know, and I had to take two looks at the front five because seeing Shannon Frizzell at lock just doesn't seem right, does it? No, it <laughs> so doesn't. I know they've, they've been decimated by injury um but you know maybe it goes all the way back to what we were talking about earlier um you know the depths at lock in new zealand you would have thought that having to put someone like shannon frizzell there is surely your last 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 resort um but it'll just be really interesting if you know because josh dixon he works really hard if frizzell can get going in that jersey and then the combination of lynch's renton and Harmon works with Fakataba sort of behind, and he's got the ability to break a game open, they could all of a sudden just click somehow miraculously. 
Yeah, big game. And again, it is time, isn't it? And why not? We saw the Queensland Reds tip up the Chiefs, uh, chip up the Chiefs here and almost saw Moana Pacifica last week beat the Blues. Mm. Uh, Justin, just some texts coming in. I, I just want to say this too. Um, here's, here's a text that's coming from Steve. Hi, guys. So good to hear you, Justin, commentating and analysing the game. Um, and I agree. I thought you were outstanding last night, mate. Really, really good. Really good analysis and, and very balanced. Uh, right. What have we got here? Hi, Mark. Back line. Uh, we've got Smith at 9, Mawango at 10, Harvili at 11, Anton Leonard-Brown at 13, Fayang Anuku on the left wing, Talia on the right wing, Jordan at 15. Not a bad lineup, is it? I mean, it's one of many combinations we could put out at the moment that would look pretty good on paper. <laughs> Any chance that they, you could uh, see where that text message was originated from? I would, If I was putting money on it, I would say somewhere in the Christchurch Crusaders franchise area. It comes from Rob, a.k.a. Graham. No, no, okay, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Now, no, but it is a good backline. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy with that. Now, Wayne is texting. He says he disagrees with you, Justin, concerning the quality of play last night. Both teams made yep. fundamental errors, not up to international standard. Oh, yeah, but tough, wow. Wayne. But tough. Yeah, I'll look, you know, and Wayne's entitled to his, his opinion. Um, I, I would challenge him to have a look at the statistics uh, and see whereabouts he's finding um, those those errors and that lack of accuracy because the statistics don't back that up. Like both teams were operating nearly at 90% tackle efficiency um, on a night where it was really dewy and the ball was greasy. I didn't think there was basic handling errors. The errors that were created were from breakdown pressure um, where teams just turned the ball over because of good defensive, aggressive um, work. Uh, There was plenty of times where the ball went seven plus phases. Like I think, um, over 10 times, both teams went seven or more phases with ball in hand. Um, obviously, the Crusaders more with their wealth of possession. So, yeah, um, I'd have to debate that and challenge Wayne to have a look at the, the game stats, um, which he should be able to find somewhere, and, and maybe rethink that. that, um, that oh, look, I, I mean, you look at the Crusaders in that first 30 minutes. I mean, as we said, the Blues at one point had made 78 tackles. The Crusaders just two. There was no mm. set piece. There were no knock-ons. There was no turnover. It was just phase after phase after phase. I, I mean, I thought the no. intensity. And the errors came through pressure, like I said, at the, either at the breakdown or the tackle. Like, I would challenge you to say where somebody actually just dropped the ball that got past to them. Um, I thought the skill set was really high. It was just aggressive defence or somebody doing... Uh, really well at the breakdown, actually turning the ball over. Um, there was a couple of kicks that got dropped, but that was because the kicks were good and the pressure was there. But, mm, yeah, no, no, can't agree. Sorry. Okay. I thought it was a good game and the skill set was high and the physicality matched it. Someone's saying here, hi, Wado and Marshy. Uh, why can't young locks or any player just play a whole game? Build up major physical and mental stamina. Is it too hard now? Yeah, I think probably because the ball's in plays a lot more. Obviously, the referees and World Rugby have made this decision to try and speed the game up by cutting down kickers' time, scrum time, line-out time. So they're trying to get players more fatigued so that they get more tries in the game, which didn't happen last night. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that does hit their lungs. There are players that still play 80 minutes. Um, but, you know, when you're up and down a lot at the breakdown, particularly the tight five, not so much the Lucy's um, because they get a little bit more freedom. But the tight five, you're just up, you're hitting rucks a lot, you're on the ground, you're back up again. And when the ball's in play a lot, you know, it, it is incredibly fatiguing now. So I kind of understand that that not everybody can do 80 minutes. Some can. Like Tamaiti Williams last night played just over 70 minutes. 
played both sides of the scrum. Yeah, big boy. Well, big effort for a guy that's 140 kgs. Mm-hmm. Uh, another text come in. Hi, Mark. 30 wins out of 42 games in Super Rugby for the Crusaders versus the Blues. The rivalry is sadly slipping away, and I think it was one from 17 now in the last 17 games. Uh, the Blues, until they can find a better 5'8", who can tactically play with distribution and kicking skills to actually set the classy Blues backline up. The walking mirror, Bowden Barrett, well into his 30s, and years past his best, clearly not the answer. I think... The issue with the history is when you look at the games between the two sides, they're they're still reasonably close and tight. The problem that the Blues have is they have not had, I guess, the experience, um, particularly in in the last five or six years because of constant changing. They've certainly got the talent that is at times equal to what the Crusaders' talent is, but they haven't had the experience to get the job done in terms of when they're in close games to turn the tide and flow of the way history is trending. And and there's no better classic example of that than the game at Eden Park. I know, like the Crusaders just found a way with a Willie Hines tackle that jolts the ball free or whatever because, you know, the guy's just massively experienced and the Blues weren't the worst side on the field that day, but they just weren't in tune enough to match the Crusaders' willpower to win. If they can get past that mental hurdle, then they will change history towards the uh, positive for them. Justin, we've got 90 seconds. I'm just curious. I just want to ask you this. If it wasn't halfback, what position would you have liked to have played or what position do you think you could have played outside a halfback? Many people probably would have said um, in the loose forwards because they thought that I played a bit like a loose forward, but that would mean more tackling and getting into more rucks. So I would want to be avoiding that. So I did play about 20 minutes against Fiji at 12. Uh, we, we we lost a few players, so I slotted into the 12 jersey. And the first pass that I got from Tony Brown was a front two ball where I ran into two Fijian defenders and thought that I don't <laughs> like that jersey very much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, like, I like the thought of being able to be a, a 12 or a 13, but um, speed probably would have been my problem there, Watto. Mm-hmm. And just finally, another text. You're off the mark. Big time, very predictable rugby. That was very easy to defend. If that is the best uh, we have attack-wise, New Zealand rugby is in trouble. That comes from Trent. You've got 30 seconds, Justin. Oh, yeah, look, everybody's always going to have their opinion on how a game should flow, but... Not all games are won by scoring five, six, seven, eight tries. You've got to win the tight ones. You've got to win the physical battles. Sometimes you've got to get in the grind. And conditions sometimes dictate that. Not The weather's not going to always be perfect. Um, and so you're going to, you have to get into a fight and um, be able to physically um, go out there and confront any team in the world. So, uh, yeah, it's not all about the razzle-dazzle sometimes. It's about what rugby's always been. Tough, uncompromising, rolling out your sleeves and getting stuck in. And it not being a spectacle, but being a contest because it's two teams that are evenly matched going at each other. Justin Marshall, being a privilege and pleasure this afternoon. Look forward to seeing you in the red tomorrow night between 7 and 7.30. That is another edition of the Rugby Run.